Okay, hello everyone. Um, welcome to Film Roundtable. My name is Erin Weil. I'm one of the co-founders of this platform. Um, welcome to our panelists today. We are going to do a talk about Sundance and we have alumni Sundance producer, Alex Orlovsky, um, who also has a film at the festival this year as well. He's gonna moderate for us. And we have Erin Vassilopoulos, a director. Uh, her film is called Speaker at Sundance. And then we have Ben Cohen, who is the producer of Superior. And we're gonna, three of them are gonna chat a little bit about what the experience is like at Sundance this year. And, you know, just getting into film festival and with Alex has so much knowledge, so much experience there. We're just gonna have a open conversation about it. Um, before we do that, I just wanna take a moment of silence to honor um, all of the 2,134,269 deaths as of today. Today is uh, January 24th. Um, that's a worldwide death count. Um, and then the US count today is 417,000. So we like to do this every time we have a round table since we started back in June, just to really honor and remember, you know, how much this pandemic has really affected us on a global level um, and to just make space for that. And we also want to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters and all of our First Nations brothers and sisters who have been senselessly killed by police brutality or uh, random acts of violence. So we'll just take a moment now. Thank you so much. Um, so just I'll have Alex start us off and um, I'll go dark for a little bit and come back in a little while, but I'll let you guys take it from here and talk about what you'd like to. Thank you so much. Thank you, Erin. Um, well, yeah, Erin, thank you so much for, for uh, making this happen. Um, you've had so many amazing people on the film round table. And um, yeah, personally, I'm honored to, to be part of it. And I'm excited to talk about this film and about Sundance. Um, and hopefully for those of you who are watching, you'll learn sort of what that experience is like. And um, okay, so Aaron, let's start. Obviously you had a short film, Superior there, um, six years ago now, mm -hmm. you are saying? Yeah, um, back in 2015. Got it. And let's, so let's talk about how you got started as a filmmaker and sort of what led to you making that short first. You want to tell us? Um, sure. Tell us yeah. I mean, ultimately I got into filmmaking kind of the old fashioned traditional way. Um, I went to film school at NYU, which is where I made the short. I was in school at the time. Were you an undergraduate um, or graduate? Um, graduate. So, so you went to NYU grad school? Mm-hmm. And yeah, the short was um, everybody does sort of like the big project um, is the second year film 
Um, and so this superior was, was that project for me at NYU. Um, um, it was beautiful. Formally, I thought it was great. It, it, thank um, you. It had some like Jalo vibes. It had some, um, it was, it was, I didn't know where it was going to go, but I, I really enjoyed it. What did you shoot it on? Thank you. Um, 16 millimeter film. I thought that might've been the case. Um, and, and how did you, did you find the cast first and then decide you had to make a film about them or was it a, no. a vice versa situation? But yeah, no. So I actually wrote the short, um, which was partially inspired by um, two of my best friends growing up were fraternal twin sisters. But um, their, I think their relationship was definitely in the back of my head um, leading up to this moment in school when we kind of had to come up with a concept for this, this short film. Um, and I think I was always like kind of envious of their <laughs> relationship. Like it seemed both really great and kind of like a curse to have this person, like this other person always, like always around, <laughs> kind of like your best friend, but also there was like a lot of friction in their relationship. Um, so that was definitely in the back of my head. Um, and then I actually remember getting in the elevator with identical twin sisters when I was at NYU, like right around the time we had to come up with ideas for the project. And like, I think my friend's relationship synced up with like the twins in The Shining and the elevator, <laughs> just the visual of it. And I, I kind of clicked. And so I uh, wrote this short, sort of developed it in one of my screenwriting classes and then had to go about casting identical twin sisters. Um, so I just started putting out sort of like casting calls, posting on different platforms and actually like uh, bringing flyers to some of the acting studios in New York. Um, and the twins, Ani and Alessandra Mesa, who I ended up working with, were both studying acting at the time. And I think one of their professors saw like a flyer I had posted and encourage them to reach out. Um, so I met them that way. Got it. And how long was the script? I think it was like 17 pages, 18 pages. And the movie was like 15 minutes, something yeah. like that. So in the, in the zone. Mm -hmm. um, and so you shot it and then submitted it to Sundance. Um, yeah. How, and were you were you surprised? I mean, no one. It's always it's sort of yes. shocking. No, I was like so shocked. Like I didn't expect anything. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, you just submit to all these festivals without knowing at all what will come of it. I was totally shocked when I got the call, and obviously super thrilled. Um, and. Um, when did you finish the film and when did you submit it? Just from like a time frame? Yeah. Were you rushing? Was it like it had been done for a while and you submitted it or what was Um, the, I remember like that project, you spend a really long time on it, like yeah. an insane amount of time for a short film, which I, I mean, it's good because you're learning and like we were workshopping it in so many classes, but it definitely was like really polished. And I, th I think it was definitely finished when I submitted. And I guess that would have been a year, like a, the fall before 2015. So fall of 2014, maybe summer 2014. Um, and, and so it went to Sundance. 
And what happened then? Did your life change immediately? Obviously, was there was a six-year sort of window. I'm yeah, always no. <laughs> there's always such crazy journeys between like shorts and features. So, I think because of where I was at, I was like still in the middle of film school um, and didn't have a ton of experience yet, um, and hadn't written a feature. So it was interesting to kind of go to Sundance and I mean, it was an incredible experience. And then, you know, the short went on to, to play at some other big festivals and it was great, but I definitely didn't like have a feature ready to go or anything like that. Um, so it was definitely like a huge boost. Um, and I continued, I also continued to work with the same DP after that um, and became really close with Annie and Alessandra in the process. So that kind of carried over, but um, yeah, like quite a bit of time elapsed between the short and uh, when we started writing the feature, I co-wrote the feature with Alessandra, one of the twins. Okay. And, and was that an immediate, was that sort of like an obvious choice or was it something like, when did you guys start writing the feature? Really? How many years after? Uh, I guess it was like 2018, so a few years after. So we had all we had all graduated from, you know, they had also been at NYU studying acting. We had all graduated and we're like trying to get other projects off the ground. And um, Ale, Alessandra had also gotten more into screenwriting since we made the short. And um, yeah, I think we had such a good experience working together that we just wanted to work together again. and. Um, we all felt really connected to the world of the short and just were sort of excited about the idea. Um, I mean, at first, honestly, we didn't, we didn't know for sure that we were going to write something based on the short, but Ali and I got together and, um, pretty quickly got excited about the idea of, uh, creating like a jump in time where the story picks up with the same twin sisters six years later. Um, Got it. Um, and Ben, what was your, when did you get into the film industry? What was your sort of entry point? Um, I always knew that I wanted to do it, but um, I didn't go to film school actually. I was thinking about it, but I went to Brown University, but I did one semester in London through NYU. And um, I met some filmmakers there that um, when I went back to to Brown for my senior year, we all shot a like $7,500 feature together. Um, they came up to Brown and we used uh, my younger brother's dorm room as the main location. And um, <laughs> my younger brother actually still lives with me now. He in this apartment that I'm in right now, but um, we, yeah, so we made that, that feature. I think we, we had these crazy expectations that it would like get into Sundance or something like that. And and be crazy successful, but that was misguided in retrospect. And then, so I moved to the city after that, and um, I started to try to like figure out how to get involved in the business. And actually, I took a job for a bit interning for your company at the time, Alex. Yeah, and no, I remember. And that was that your first industry thing, or had you done other stuff before that? Not that that was like an industry <laughs> thing, you know, but. Yeah, I think that actually was, I had made that feature just, you know, figuring it out. Um, I produced it. My friends, James Benson and Bernardo Brito directed it. And um, 
then I took the, yeah, the, I worked, you know, just kind of random jobs in the city for a year. And then I, and then I took that job interning for you, but then um, two short films that I'd also made for really cheap independently got into Sundance later that year. So that's, and that's with those same guys he still work with. Yeah, Bernardo um, directed one of the shorts called Yearbook, and the other one was directed by another one of my friends, Efren Hernandez. It was called Master Muscles, and both of those shorts premiered at Sundance in 2014. So it was at that point that I kind of decided to, to break off and, and try to do it on my own, figure out the producing thing. Got it. And when did the two of you connect? Um, so I participated in the, the Sundance Labs with the a different project that um, is supposed to go into production this year, uh, pending like what happens with the pandemic and things like that. Um, and that project was delayed for a variety of reasons. And so another alumni of the labs had introduced me to Aaron and said that we should get coffee and, and meet. And um, yeah, so we, we met and she told me about Superior and um, she had, I think I was maybe the first person that she had sent that first producer she had sent that script to because it had been recently completed and um i just read it and i really responded to it like right away so i wanted to figure out a way to, to get the project made and i had this kind of like window as well to make it so i felt this this strong urgency to help aaron figure out a way to get it get it done and that's when we kind of teamed up and started the process of making it very cool um and aaron so what have you what have you been doing just like in, in the time of from the short to the feature, um, have, were you working in the industry in other positions? Were you sort of like, what, what's your kind of path yeah. over the past few years as you've been figuring this film out? Um, I mostly was, I mean, for two more years, I was focused on school and got to make a couple other short films. Um, I had also been writing another feature sort of at the time that Ali and I teamed up. Um, and for work, I was mostly um, after school teaching a bit um, for a non sort of a nonprofit in Brooklyn that places teaching artists in sort of like underserved schools around Brooklyn. Um, cool. And I was also sort of shooting and editing some promotional stuff for them um, and some other odd jobs like piecing together yeah. <laughs> freelance work and teaching. Um, but no, I hadn't really like, I mean, I worked on set a lot in school. That's a big part of the sort of the way NYU functions. But outside yeah. of that, I didn't really, I was sort of focused on writing and developing my, I was lucky enough to get to focus on uh, writing and developing my own work. Got it. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll never forget when we shot half nelson which was actually a similar story because they made their short four or five years before and then it was a very long journey um i believe that anna was working as a receptionist at a doctor's office and her last day of work was like right before we formally started prep um and ryan was working as a pa for entertainment weekly for like a red carpet camera crew and we were when we were at the gotham awards that red carpet camera crew was actually covering him on the red carpet, or, um, <laughs> you know, a year and a half later, or whatever. But it's like, it's always, it's always very challenging and, and tricky to get that first feature made and kind of yeah. find ways to make 
ends meet. You know, I have like you know, 10 shorts on my IMDb from when, you know, that period when I was just like, all right, like I'll produce shorts to do whatever. So um, I know it's always, it's, it's always sort of a crazy journey. Um, and so you had the script. So when was the script sort of ready? Like when did you guys meet for the first time? It's like spring of 2019. Oh, wow. So this wasn't a crazy long journey from you having the script to the movie getting made. No, it was, yeah. No, it happened really quickly. <laughs> and I was like in disbelief, honestly. Uh, yeah, and I think the script wasn't completely done when we met Ben, because then Ben sort of helped continue to develop it and we finished the script. Um, and when did you shoot it? Late 2019. Okay. Like I think, November, December. Right. Oh, that's exactly when we shot our film as well, pretty much. So, okay. Um, yeah. So we sat down, yeah. in, I think May of 2019 and our first day of shooting was maybe November 4th, I think. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So oh, wow. It was a pretty fast, um, fast turnaround. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and obviously the twins were the main cast. So you had them. Um, yeah. Um, did you have sort of like all the elements in place and we're just looking for, for a producer who sort of saw it and was ready to go? Or were there other roles that you had to fill to kind of justify the financing or what was like, um, and Ben, maybe you can talk about sort of how you put the film together a little bit as well. Yeah. You can't talk about how much it costs. It costs $7 million because you have to sell it. So we're not allowed <laughs> to talk about budgets That's as much as I would like to. We, we have to, uh, you must wildly inflate the number. <laughs> um. Well, the, the two leads were um, predetermined, which yeah. I'm grateful for because they're great in the film. And um, I really like their work in the short as well. And as Aaron mentioned, um, Alessandra co-wrote it with Aaron. So a lot of times when trying to figure out the financing and the kind of, you know, lower budget indie type projects um you want to find that lead and then kind of build out the project from there but that wasn't going to be the way we were going to go about it this time because the the leads were already figured out and i think that actually allowed for the process to go faster because we didn't take that extended period to find an, an attachment um so the we hired a casting agent to figure out like the second the um, like two male leads in the project. And um, we built that, the cast together, but that wasn't really gonna factor into to the financing. I think what made it able, us able to make the project quickly is it was this really like natural pairing of the text of the script with the short film. And the short, it's not a feature version of the short. The story picks up from six years after the short left off. I think sometimes there's a challenge in trying to like take a great short and turn it into a feature because there's might not be enough of a, a story there necessarily. Like a great short to me is not necessarily like funny, but sort of structured like, like a joke almost. It's like kind of an, an idea and then a punctuation. Um, whereas a feature, you know, you have to kind of, have a story that justifies that duration. So with the script and the short, I could kind of see on a micro level, like what the, the project was gonna feel like. 
Um, and then, and I was really like inspired to, to figure out a way to work on a project like that because I could feel like both the influences and Aaron's singular voice merging together in a way that was really exciting for me. But then this story of the feature too was something that I felt was very compelling and would appeal to um, you know, hold, hold an audience's attention for sure over that feature length time. So I was able to like speak passionately about it and just piece together the financing through like individuals. And did, is there, do you have sort of like a group of financiers or investors that you generally sort of approach or was it, is it sort of like you're re, sort of re, remaking the wheel every time you do it as a producer? Um, I think it's been like different every time. Um, I think when you, when you work in like on a, on a different project right now, we have a attach a lead first and therefore like we're kind of working with the agencies to try to figure out how to package the movie. But in this situation, it was more like going to people that I knew had an interest in, you know, filmmaking in general, had supported my projects in the past and um, who I think would yeah, just respond to the material because the, the project is incredibly like singular in my mind. So it stands out and you can tell pretty quickly whether or not it's it's for you, I think. Got it. Um, and did you go to the labs or do anything sort of Sundance Lab related, Aaron, in the process of, of creating this or you just sort of did yeah. it? Um, and you also, it sounds as though you do, you, do you have an agent now? I don't, I've been talking. Not. I've been talking sure, to people no, recently. No. They're all coming and knocking on the door. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, so I think that's also an interesting point because it's it's uncommon. I think the agencies just touch so many aspects of this industry. Um, and I think it's unique to New York that projects can be put together sort of outside of that. Um, and it speaks to the New York film community. Um, you know, and I think it's, that's just like, it's, it's cool to see and, and refreshing. Whereas so many other projects, it's just like, what I'm John and John in the whole, for example, the one that I have is like, that's, it's like UTA all the way from top to bottom. And that's kind of like, you know, it's, it's sort of that agency is like in the film's DNA. Um, and it's, you know, um, so, but now that you, of course, your feature was accepted to Sundance, um, you're having the agencies reach out to you and kind of start the courting, the courtship or whatever. Um, and this is, we'll talk about the sort of virtual Sundance of it all, which is completely insane because otherwise we would be doing a physical premiere and you'd have 10 agents trying to talk to you. You know, it's like, I mean, I'd be curious to hear, I don't know if you're ready for that, but just sort of like sure. your first experiences at Sundance and oh, sure. And also how um, you got into filmmaking, if you want to talk about that at all. Sure. Um, I went, um, <laughs> it's kind of insane that my first Sundance was 2000. Um, and I was like in my early 20s with, um, there's a great producer named Paul Mazet who was sort of like our mentor slash he was like the adult in the room when um, me and my old partners Hunter Gray and Tyler Brody were all you know kind of trying to figure out how to be credible 
producers. Um, but I had worked on a film called The Intern with Dominique Swain that was like a very, it was, it was sort of, it was, a, it was like a cynical look at the fashion industry um, written by a woman named uh, Jill Cardman who uh, they wrote like a really funny incisive sort of cutting script that was in, I think it was called the spotlight section at that point. But I was just along for the ride. Like I wasn't really paying attention to the industry and was like, you know, frankly, quite immature. And we just partied, you know, and it was like, um, Paul Mazet was next door with a film called Our Song that um, Michael Stipe and Jim McKay had produced. Um, it was actually Kerry Washington's first film. And so we were all, you know, we were all together. Um, and then I went back six years later with Half Nelson as like my first quote unquote real, real movie. Um, and at that point I was working with the producer named Jamie Patrickoff who we actually did a 10 year Blue Valentine anniversary talk two nights ago, um, which was a lot of, it was, it was great to like reconnect with, with those guys and sort of revisit that. But, but Half Nelson was the movie that Jamie, Lynette and I like first, that was our first film together. Um, and so that one came, did come through an agency. It was like, I'd, I got into the film industry working with um, somebody that actually, I, I grew up in Texas, but I ended up going to boarding school because um, my, my parents were teachers and they just thought, you know, they valued education and decided that was like the right path for me. Um, and there was a woman named Galt Niederhofer who's in my high school class and she dropped out of college and become a producer at a very young age. And when I moved to New York trying to figure out, I thought I was gonna go into the literary world but she was like, she was a producer. Her movie won Sundance the year before. It was like so cool and insane. And I went to her and was just like, asked if I could intern for her while I was um, trying to find a job. And I got, there was like a job at a literary agency and a movie going into production and a job at a magazine. And I had like these two sort of paths. And I was like, you know what? I want to work in this movie. Like this seems like so much more of like, the romantic ideal of like creative life in New York. And we, you know, the office was on Worcester Street, it was like 51 Worcester Street between Grand and Broom and Soho. And, you know, it was just, Paul Mazze was upstairs, Gil Holland was around the corner. It was like, you know, that, and that was kind of like, that was how I got sort of sucked in and never looked back. Um, and then I met Jamie, a few years later and he and like we worked together i got my full my first full producing credit with jamie on this film called point and shoot and then half nelson was our second film and, and to bring this full circle we were like oh i think like we'd like to go to we'd like to have a film that would go to sundance so let's look at sundance lab projects and there's an agent named craig castell who's like sort of an iconic figure in like the sundance kind of world um he gave us Half Nelson. Um, and at the time, Chris O'Donnell was actually attached to it, uh, who was also a William Morris client. Um, and collectively, like we were like, okay, we'll commit to doing this. And then it turned out that Ryan Gosling wanted to do something that had like social 
you know, had some sort of social significance or like, you know, had something to say. And then he connected with the directors and that's where it kind of like became very tangible and real. Um, and that was actually a horrible Sundance experience. We, the film premiered, um, we got like a couple offers, but it was very sort of like lukewarm. And then our agents were like, look guys, just wait. Like, I think you're gonna win some awards at the awards ceremony. So let's just not do anything to the awards ceremony. And then that'll like give us the momentum to kind of like get this figured out. And then we didn't win anything. And they were like talking to us under like the bleachers or whatever. They're like, okay guys, like <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta just like, let's just sell the movie. Like, and we were, it's it's like, a really insane like Sundance can be such an insane roller coaster like you know it's like there can be such highs there can be such lows but it's also like it's a marathon like what happens at the festival I'm always like just because you movie got into Sundance like that's where your problems start like you think you're like, <laughs> you, got, it's like you got it all figured out it's like that's when things sort of like the journey, the journey really begins you know um and so we were like super bummed and just like, oh man, we thought this movie was so special. Like, why doesn't anybody see it that way? What, you know, what do we do? Um, and then a couple of days later, there was sort of like IndieWire does this like critics, you know, they'll sort of do like the ranking of what critics like, what movie's best. And Half Nelson was the top, you know, it was like top one or two. And then with performances and suddenly it was like, oh wow, the critics, really thought this movie was special like and it was this very slow sort of build of momentum from there um but that was before twitter that was before like any of those things now it's just like you're you're like you walk out of your premiere like looking at your phone like refreshing twitter like and it's and it's just like it's a very different sort of instantaneous thing now um and now it's even weirder because we're doing the virtual version of that so you know, um, so we'll kind of see, like this is gonna be, we're, we're part of like a grand experiment, you know, and I think we have to give a shout out to Kim Yutani and John Nine and the rest of the program yes. for like actually figuring this craziness <laughs> out, you know? It's amazing, um, yeah. It's so, and I think they're trying some things that hopefully will stick around, you know, it's like, it'll be interesting to see, but, um, but yeah, that was my first, so Half Nelson was like my first sort of experience as a producer. Um, and I've been back a bunch since then. And, and I've had sort of like every possible version of Sundance you could imagine from like incredible to, to, to like quite, you know, quite hard. Um, but it's like, but we, we love making movies, so we keep doing it. Um, when so you found out when did you find out the movie got into Sundance? Uh, it was like maybe two weeks before Thanksgiving or or one week before Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and when did you submit it? Um, we submitted in early October or late September, maybe. Got it. It okay. was kind of late, yeah, like October. Yeah. It and how? Sorry, go ahead. In a, in a way because you know everything shut down um being able to focus on the edit of superior was a nice outlet and that process we had some time to dedicate to it and 
and really find the story again. Um, but then when it came time to finishing, <laughs> you know, you're battling, you know, different things that come up with the, the pandemic that get in the, that slowed the process down a little bit. So it was kind of this slower um, editing phase and then kind of a scramble to get the film ready to submit. And then again, once we found out, like a scramble to finish the film. Yeah. I'm sure for oh, everybody it's like that, but it was crazy. hundred oh, percent. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. it's like you, you're gonna, no matter how much time you have, you're gonna like somehow manage to just like jam it all to the end. Yeah. Crazy. I think it's, Aaron though, luckily is someone when, who immediately likes to tackle a, a problem when it emerges or yeah, I'm like yeah. super yeah, so, type A. <laughs> yeah. So we get ahead of things, which is had you worked with the editor before? Who was the um a little bit. She's actually um she was one of my she was my first editing professor at NYU. Um oh, so I had so cool. her at NYU and um we were like kind of friends that way. And she had kind of helped me out with a little music video once, but she kind of always said, like, if you make a feature, like, I want to edit it. Um, and I didn't really like believe her, but then, yeah, I, I met with some editors and then ultimately I had kind of made a really loose rough cut once we got the footage back and I was, we were sharing that with editors and I was honestly feeling like <laughs> a little like, uncertain about it all just because like when you do that first oh, long yeah. cut it's like what is this <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a really weird feeling and it's honestly I felt yeah I wasn't at my most confident and then I had this meeting with Jen our editor and she's just like oh like I see this movie and like I really want to do this and she was just like so positive and um it was a real boost and just um yeah, just convinced me it was a great fit. And Did you do the first assembly? We had an assistant editor who was kind of like working on scenes while we were yeah. shooting. But then I took over once we were done shooting and did, yeah, like a really rough assembly slash rough cut. And How then- long was your first assembly? It was really long, right? Yeah, I was maybe two and a half hours actually. Yeah. Um, and how long is the finished film? Like an hour and 39 minutes. Yeah. Um, but I think with the assembly, we just, we wanted to see everything that we had. And, and yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. What percentage of the movie, did you cut any scenes you were like shocked that you, that you cut or sort of were like super devastating to you that, that you had to get rid of them? I mean, not devastating. I actually really, I saw, I, I co-edited with Jen with our editor and um, I really, and she helped me really treat the editing process as like its own phase of, of rewriting and like tear myself away from the script a little bit. Um, so we really did make some bold cuts and I find when it's working, it's like, it's really exciting. I don't think I, I try not to get like, I mean, I definitely get attached to things, but yeah, I think the collaboration think... you had with Jen that, you know, we I took a look at the first 30 minutes or so once they had started working together and it 
found a kind of a new rhythm in a way and and it was at that point I knew that they were gonna make something like really special like it was just it was just clear that the the language was being clarified yeah I think there's because of the way the script sort of progresses there was only so much rearranging we could do yeah but within those limits we did a lot like we did a lot of cutting and there's certain elements that could be moved around and we really did like move stuff around. So were you guys able to do any rough cut screenings before the pandemic kind of shut everything down or were you sort of forced to no, do, we do did. it all virtually? It was all virtual. Yeah, I think one of like the last things I did in public was that meeting, that first meeting with Jen. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we had like, coffee or something yeah it was like a rare so crazy really nice day in yeah march or february and we're leaving dimes in chinatown and like everything felt like great because the meeting went really well and then little did i know i wouldn't be getting like coffee with someone in person for a really time for, for years yeah and, uh, yeah it's so so wild we we were able to do two rough cut screenings one in la and one in new york before everything stopped um that's so nice but i was just talking to another filmmaker who shot a movie in november and he's his is, is it's actually like a work for hire thing where there's different producers with different agendas and it's he's just talking about how challenging it is to like try to do all this stuff in the subjective vacuum where you can't like put everybody in a room with an audience and just be like let's like the audience sort of speaks for itself you know um yeah so it's crazy and yeah we did virtual virtual color cracks. i mean all these things it's just like so oh, really what about your wild. sound you know we we actually ended up doing our sound mix in mexico at this place called splendor omnia um and our sound designer was in paris and there were just people that the director had like discovered and was like these are the people i want to work with which was, it was like insanely complicated um, logistically, but we had, um, the film got got flipped union. So, which suddenly, which meant that if we would have done sound in New York, it would have been much more expensive and challenging. So we were just like, you know what, if that's creatively what you want to do, go for it. And so he ended up going down to Mexico um, in like September, to do the sound mix um, and just, you know, took the safety precautions in the plane, whatever. Um, and so did do that in person, but it's like in the mountains somewhere outside of Mexico City. Yeah. The filmmaker Carlos Regadas started the place. It's, oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, yeah. I was so mad that I couldn't go because it just seemed <laughs> yeah. like the greatest uh... thing ever. Like, <laughs> um, but it just wasn't like, sadly this was not like with i origins we did the sound mix at skywalker ranch and we're like okay like field trip to skywalker and it was just like a big party but now i have a small yeah. child in the pandemic so it was like no trip no no mexico trip for me you know yeah um but so he did that and then the the color we did at company three in new york um but we did it virtually and you know it was and the, the cinematographer was in europe so that was quite challenging um, and took a lot more time than it would have otherwise, but yeah. Company 3 was very gracious and just kind of like gave us the wiggle room to sort of 
get it right. We were mm -hmm. definitely doing that until the very, very, very last minute. <laughs> yeah. So did you, what did you shoot on? We also shot on 16. Oh, you did? So yeah. amazing. So you, so you sort of honored the- Yeah, uh, I was so grateful to our producers actually. Like er that's really so early cool. on, they were like supportive of that because they had seen the short. Oh, that's incredible. Just sort of made um, them, yeah. And we were working yeah, I mean, DP as the short, so. Okay, cool. Well, that's that's great. I love when those sort of relationships carry on. Um, and I thought the music in the short was excellent also, like the cues. Are you going to try to Thank sort you. of bring that same vibe back or what's... Yeah, the feature is a little... The short was sort of like... It wasn't specific to any time. I mean, it feels dated, I think, and it has kind of like an any time... Feel, or did you feel that it was 80s? The, the feature is definitely set in the 80s. Um, okay. So the music is a little more specific to yeah, the, the it's um, 80s music mostly. Okay, got it. Yeah, I that was actually what I liked so much about the music in the short was that it was like, like Dirty Beaches is so specific and retro, but modern and just mm -hmm. adding, mm -hmm. adding that to like, the Super 16 photography and everything else, I think you created like a very singular, like it felt like a very singular voice, um, which I appreciated. So, um, but yeah, it could have been, it's like in its own parallel, it's like Lynchian exactly. universe or whatever, yeah. you know. I think the feature also feels that way. Cool. <laughs> and there's a lot of music. And that was actually, yeah, that was one of the, the, the aspects that kind of took the longest finishing just- um, Just figuring out the music. Yeah, and I'm really happy with where it landed, but it took a long time <laughs> yeah. to find music we could license that fit, right. you know, that. Got it. Just because it was I expensive really and, com and complicated or? Mostly expensive, just, but then yeah. I got super lucky and sort of got turned on to this like trove of 80s music um, by this guy in, in Brooklyn who runs some labels and had been sort of like slowly buying the rights to music to reissue. Oh, cool. bunch of music specifically from the early 80s um so that was like really lucky once so he, he shared he sort of he was your savior and kind of like yeah. had this treasure i think so to like... me yes very cool <laughs> from the original it's... music we were editing with we were able to get a few of the tracks um got it and like one of one slightly bigger track by going through the band's uh manager my bloody valentine song oh yeah um, there wasn't a my bloody was there a my bloody Valentine cue in the original, in the short. I don't think so. No, I can't remember. No, um, it's a very painful but, uh, time when you're producing when <laughs> the director starts to learn how expensive some of the, the music is. Even music. Oh yeah, it's hard. It's crazy. It's really hard. It's it's pretty. It's it's kind of unpredictable. Yeah, yeah it's really. Um, it can be super heartbreaking also when you are like you there's something that you fall in love with and you just like oh it's just we're never it's just never going to be within reach you know yeah um but it was a good honestly it was a good lesson in that i'm actually happier with where the music landed because it's like more yeah obscure it's like music that i really like that a lot of it i discovered in this process and I think it is even more specific than what I had been editing with. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah, it yeah. worked out really well. 
this time, but it's yeah. it can be. A, it it could have been really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's scary to a moment, and then we're done. Especially if you're under a time crunch and you just have to like find music. It's yeah, it could yeah. be really hard, really bad. I mean, it's like normally Sundance feels so permanent, where it's like that's your version of the movie, the end. But this just feels so kind of like ephemeral. <clears throat> And we'll, I think we'll like, let's, we can talk about all that stuff, but it's like, yeah, we're making a quick time for Sundance. <laughs> like you could open up the movie the next day and like <clears throat> change whatever, but. Don't um, say okay. that. <laughs> no, if, but it's good if you're feeling confident. I mean, I don't think we're going to change our movie either, but there are other times where it's like, yeah, it can be a much more kind of like contentious or just sort of like hard process where you're showing something and there's not like a universal kind of agreement about whether it's the right version. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so you got into Sundance. When did CAA come knocking on your door? Because they're selling the movie, which you told me briefly, but like we should talk about that sort of aspect of the process. So how did that come about? Um, we, we were meeting with a variety of you know sales teams and I think just the, yeah, the, the meeting with them went really well. They like really understood the, the voice of the, the project. And I could tell that the things that they were drawn to were <clears throat> same things that we, you know, prize in the work. So, and, and Aaron can, can speak maybe on this as well, but it, it just, you could just tell that the feeling was, was best with them and, and after we were kind of you know, buzzing with excitement. So it felt like an, an easy choice. Yeah, and they had come, I think, yeah, they had reached out to me leading up to the announcement. Um, you know, I think all the agencies find out. A little, a little, a little birdie whispered in their <laughs> ear. <laughs> Which we didn't, I didn't know. It was funny. We kept trying to break the news to people and they were like, yeah. <laughs> but Alex, I don't know if you, <laughs> how you did it in the past, but. In a, in a previous feature that I had at the, the festival, we, we took the Blu-ray around, you know, we went on a trip to LA and took the Blu-ray to the different agencies and they screened it for two hours and then we have a meeting right after. And then, you know, some of the sales agencies in New York, we did the same thing. And then we kind of chose after that, but we obviously couldn't do that this year. So it was all links to the project and after. a lot more links i used to be so anti-sending links to anyone and now it's just become very sort of common practice um but yeah it's i mean a lot of times a filmmaker will have an agent and it's or there's like an actor in it who um just like that sort of decides oh the leads from WME or Endeavor or you know CAA or ICM or whoever and that's sort of like okay that's what it is um and, and then it's like a lot of times it'll end up being split representation which is just sort of the reality you know it's just kind of like the way it is now because it's it, it's just kind of like our film is a UTA um ICM co-representation because I work for a producer financier who's an ICM client and then basically the filmmakers and everyone else's UTA and it was sort of, you know, obviously like the money wants somebody who sort of looks out for them and sort of has their best interests at heart. Whereas the filmmakers agents are gonna want what's best for the filmmakers. So it's like, 
there's always kind of like a narrative behind how those things happen. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's like back in 2000, there was like, I was on a bus with someone who's like, hi, I work at Sloss Special Projects, like Synetic didn't even exist. <laughs> and the agencies didn't, like the agencies weren't even remotely in the film sales game. Like they were a little bit, but like, it's from where that sort of started. Cause then like Micah Green, who was John Sloss's right-hand man went to CAA and sort of like started the CAA kind of advisory, like independent film thing in earnest. And, and obviously like now all the agencies have that in a very robust way, but like, um, so, but so you met with, so they basically all reached out to you once the film was announced or sort of right before kind of uh, like courting you and kind of like having those conversations. I guess we should yeah. say we participate in IFP as well. So oh, yeah. um, IFP in New York. So through oh, the no borders or whatever the IFP market was. We did. Um, they have like a finishing lab. So oh, it was like a three part lab. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. That was really helpful. Um, also kind of what you were talking about before with like the New York filmmaking community making a, a movie IFP and then also the moment when we were talking to the various sales teams was a change because the, the movie was you know like made sort of fiercely independent um, like when we were in upstate New York shooting it like I don't think anybody in the industry like knew we were up there <laughs> yeah. um, and then it was kind of Oh, like with the Sundance announcement and then those meetings, it was kind of like slowly, you know, kind of informing people about the project and kind of, um, yeah. that, was, that was kind of a fun moment because it was so close to us for so long. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like incredible and it's so rare that something's like truly out of nowhere in this day and age, um, or even that it just sort of like gets, gets built outside of the agency and sort of like casting and packaging world. So I do think that that's very cool and, and commendable. Um, and so, so you signed the CAA to sell the movie um, and who, and so now you're sort of dealing with the, the talent agent side of it, Aaron, or the lit agent, I should say, side of it, right? Getting, you mean taking meetings and things? Yeah, or like having yeah. people sort of reach out to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've had some calls with different um, agents and managers. Um, Zooms, I guess, right? Zooms or calls. calls. Zooms, yeah. Um, and yeah, to go back to what you're asking before, it's like, and then sort of what one of the fundamental differences is, like I haven't, the last few, it's been a minute since I've done a film at Sundance where like nowhere is sort of like a clean slate, sort of like the, the director wasn't, represented or you know there it, it wasn't kind of like on the radar but god I guess like another earth that was like a true like lightning bolt out of nowhere situation where no one knew like Britt Marling was just like no one knew who she was no one knew who Mike was and like she and then Zal had a movie there as well sound of my voice and so it was like this crazy you know, it became like this whole crazy thing, but the programmers very strategically like put Iorg or put another Earth in Eccles on Tuesday at the very end of like all the competition 
movies and like normally that's a big thing is you like when is your slot like what's the strategic best place to do this what are you up against like are we going to be able to get people there because so much of it is like that magical kind of like moment in the theater and so at another earth like i know which is like so which is obviously just like it's super frustrating but I, you know, I, I know that there's like our the, our movies will all be seen in theaters again sooner rather than later. But like, it just made me think about though the fact that like I think I'm the one of the only people who's seen it in a theater. Like just when we were color grading. Oh, totally. It's crazy. no one else, and it, that was only at the very end of the process. You know. Yeah. And I was no. like, this is amazing. Like I was so <laughs> happy because so I was crazy. like, I've only seen the movie on a laptop. Yeah, I was editing on the laptop with a mon- you know, yeah, journal monitor, but. And all the buyers are going to see it on a laptop. And it is very, very different. It's just nuts. It's super. But the only positive thing is it's a level level playing field and it's not, they, they did Toronto this way. They've done, they, like everything is this. So it's not, um, it's, you know, it's sort of like the, everyone's accustomed to it, which is the only sort of like positive thing you can say. But no, I, I think as far as like, so with Another Earth, like people freaked out over that movie and then like Mike went from being sort of like this completely anonymous person to someone with like, where it was just like, you know, all the agencies like jumped on him. Um, and he ended up signing with Craig Castell. This is like, two, uh, like 2011, wait, yeah, I think it was. So that was like Craig as an agent and you're gonna sort of like, make these decisions about like who's the right person for you to sign with like what's the appropriate you know because it's so sort of like an, an important relationship like craig's done this amazing job of taking all these independent filmmakers and guiding them into like massive studio jobs where somehow it doesn't seem like like a sellout or inappropriate or whatever which is like incredible <laughs> but you know back then he was like he, he you know he he hadn't done any of that so he was sort of like this up-and-coming guy and now it's like Ryan Coogler, Carrie Fukunaga, Ryan and Anna, like, you know, the huge director. So he's not, he's not sort of like all in the indie film, sort of Sundance the world the way that he once was. And I, and I know now there's other agents who are doing the same thing, you know? So it's like, it's, it's, it's sort of like a very important and personal choice. But yeah, it's confusing because you're not, seeing them face to face you don't get the benefit of like yeah. i do think it's a little it's harder nice. but it is I'm just yeah. gonna kind of like take my time and, and keep the conversations going with people because i think it'll take a few conversations do you have the thing that you want to do next also i do have this other script that i had been working on um before superior and sort of alongside it um that i'd like to make next but yeah. Yeah, it's not like ready to go, but um, that's kind of what I plan to pivot to after this. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the other thing. It's like knowing what the next thing is and who's sort of like best positioned to help you with that. Because it's like CAA's has an incredible, you know, an incredibly deep bench of talent and sort of all these other things. But and they're actually becoming insanely filmmaker friendly. Like I think it's remarkable how kind of like 
attuned to sort of the independent film thing they are right now. Right. It's, like it's surprising and interesting to me, but like, you know, UTA is like amazing for filmmakers. Like ICM's got like, there's like really amazing sort of indie, lit, you know, sort of lit filmmaker agents there are just like, will bust their ass for you. Like WME's has sort of like all these other kind of like ancillary things they can bring to the table, but a lot of it is just like, who's that person that you want to kind of like trust your career with? Um, and do they want the same thing as you? Because I've also like worked with filmmakers who like had like incredible like auteur success and then they're just like, they just want to keep being auteurs and the and their agents are like, no, like do these studio movies. Like yeah. I can get you this job. And it's like, that's just never, not everyone's like cut out for that, you know? Yeah. And it's like, so, um, but then it's like, if you want writing gigs, if you want to do like for hire stuff, if you want to direct, start directing TV, it's like, those are the other kind of things that you'll like. Mm -hmm you know, that you can sort of, like everyone's gonna have their own pitch. Mm -hmm. It's just, there is like an even smaller agency the right place for you. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but, but yeah, I'm missing that that's where kind of like the, the physical sort of, yeah, like it, it feels face like that's face. where it stings, you know? Yeah. Um, and you were asking like before you're like, this must be a crazy week. Like, how do you feel getting ready? Oh for yeah, Come, if you could compare the yeah the lead up to, I mean, yeah, it's quite different. Obviously, it's insane. Like, I'm actually, it's it's almost like confusing to me because it's like first of all, you have to travel like thirty people to Sundance. So there's just like the logistical, because it's like your two leads. Obviously, like the twins are gonna go, and then there's, um it's like your crew who you of course you want them to come and then there's like are there other actors who like maybe are just central to the film but like want to come anyway and you don't and you like don't want to hurt their feelings by not having them come and then it's like the financiers all want to come and suddenly it's like holy cow I've got 40 people that I'm responsible for <laughs> all of whom are gonna like or like any one of them who can get like offended if I don't if they feel like slighted or ignored because like right. they all believe that they had like some singular contribution to the film. And it's like, if you don't get them the right tickets or like care enough about where they're staying or like make sure that they're included in like the party list or whatever, it's just like, and and I've like gotten in big fights with like financiers because they like gave all the tickets away. And I'm just like, what are you guys doing? Like you can't give our finite, number of tickets to the premiere to like these random people when I have like all these guys who worked on the movie who yeah. I need to get them in like it's just none yeah. of that is an issue you know um so that's like and then it's sort of where are you going to do your party like and this is stuff that's like kind of stupid but also like weirdly important because yeah it, yeah, it, no, I'm definitely no not getting to get together also with our cast and crew is like, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's tough. It's, 
but and 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 it's like we've got obviously like these zoom q a's or whatever like and i think sundance is working really hard to create the most kind of like special environment that they can but there's all of this crazy ancillary like work and logistical challenges that normally you'd have to deal with that are just like don't even exist yeah no i was gonna say like i i strangely like feel less anxiety or something when there's a lot of stuff to to do and handle oh. <laughs> all those logistics that you're talking about I'm kind of in my mind i'm like the premieres a week away like why aren't i do taking care of that stuff yeah, yeah. it's strange yeah. it's really yeah, it feels odd it's really weird um but it is a strange kind of balance of emotions because i think when we set out to to make the film with aaron having had the short at the festival and i had been through the labs and had a had a number of projects the the festival this was our you know dream goal while making it to premiere at sundance so it's incredibly exciting and like we're very appreciative of the, the programmers for for including us so there's this insanely excited feeling but then there's also this kind of um you know adjustment that we're having to it all being on virtual that I think is exciting in some ways, but also as Aaron was mentioning, like disappointing that we won't be able to have that party with all the crew members and cast members. And yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's a little, it's a bummer, but I have to believe that there's going to be that party in six months or whatever. Cause it's like, you take your movie to Sundance to introduce it to the world and find the distributor. And then it's sort of like all starts all over again. And that, kind of goes back to what I was saying before about like Sundance is just the beginning, like, and look, I mean, like you have the good fortune of having a film in competition at Sundance, which is insane. There's 10 movies in competition, you know? And it's like, that's amazing. And I know a lot of filmmakers whose movies didn't get into Sundance, some of whom are like, it's quite surprising. You know, you're like, wow, that dude's like lab this, that, the other, like, I can't believe they didn't just like put it into premieres somewhere like yeah. you know it's so it's it's yeah. it's um yeah no but then it, but now it's like okay so you're going to introduce your movie to the world and then it's about now it's about distributors like who's the right distributor for it like who who's excited like and then it's like what's the critical response going to be like there's all these sort of like next things that I mean, it's going to be weird because we're going to be sitting in our living rooms looking at Twitter, right? <laughs> For like getting our publicists to, um, yeah. and who's your publicist? Um, Sunshine Sachs. Sunshine Sachs. Mm -hmm. um, but those big questions that you were describing, instead of, you know, being able to distract myself with the logistics of the tickets and the house laws, I just hope this guy lie in bed looking at the ceiling, like wondering about those questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's around that totally. yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's super crazy. It's just like, um, but there, and have you done some like sort of pre-festival screenings for some like um, curtain raisers and journalists and stuff like that? I think they are, yeah, they are sharing the film with some. Do little things. Yeah. We're having our like first, or not our first, but sort of like our big kind of like a call tomorrow 
with the agencies and the publicists and all these people to sort of um, kind of like figure out what's what as, as we as we go into this. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be anticlimactic and, and sort of strange. Yeah. Thing, no, I guess I want to jump on what you're saying though and just make, we are like, I am incredibly excited that our film is premiering it at Sundance. So it's really like a lot of mixed emotions and mainly just like a lot of uncertainty about having never yeah. done participated in a virtual festival. But one, I feel like one big upside of the premiere is like a lot of people who wouldn't have traveled to Sundance are going to get to see, you know, like a lot of my family and friends are so excited to watch the movie, watch the premiere of our movie. And I mean, that's, um, yeah, I think that's big. I think that's the best part of it actually is that, and I hope that they do that in the future. Like, I think it's something that would have been like sacrilege you know, like in years past, the idea of like doing a virtual component or having like, you know, just being able to sort of open it beyond Park City itself. And I, and I think it's incredible. And I hope that they can do that again in the future. Like, yeah, like I can have my, my parents get to go to my premiere, you know, like just family members, other people. Like, I think that's super cool. You know, I think yeah. there's so many things like that 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 are, that are great and can, can I chime in on that real quick um, the one thing that I've always felt at film festivals is there's so many films that never see the light of day right that are so amazing um, shorts you know docs features and I think that it's actually kind of a blessing that this is kind of happening and that hopefully it opens people's eyes these festival programmers of like really not making these festivals just for a certain um demographic you know because the passes are expensive getting yourself there is expensive and there are people all over the world that would love to watch some of these films for you know now you can get a ticket up for sundance for 15 dollars, or you know a pass i think i was offered a pass for like half off because i'm a sundance alum um and, you know, I think those, those are things, those are like one of, you know, all these little, these little bright spots in this past year, you know, of how, how things are going to adjust. And I, I still think that, um, you know, even if things go back to normal, I mean, I think you guys are going to have a great festival. It's going to be weird. You're going to be like the first people who did Sundance virtually, but it's, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of positive things that come out of it as well. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, and it'll, it'll like, we'll be doing the communal sort of version of it again in the not too distant future. Like, after, I mean, it, you know, you go to Sundance and the sooner your movie, as soon as your movie's gonna come out in June anyway, because you have to sell it and then come up with a distribution plan and all that. So I think like, we're gonna experience, I think people are just gonna be that much more stoked to go to a movie theater again, you know? I think it's going to be like a, a joyous, I think it's going to be very emotional when we actually like show our films to an audience um, again, after sort of being forced to, to not have that. Um, so, yeah. Like moving to New York all over again or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. It would be. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Alex. Sorry. It's all good. I was just going to say it would be interesting to talk about the distribution plan, um, like how how that, you know, what what kind of like formula you have for that, or how that's gone down for you in the past, um, if you wouldn't if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Um, for, uh, for me to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Just has CAA sort of like given you. Aaron V, like an idea of kind of like who your target distributors are. Do you guys have your kind of like dream people in mind? I think it's, you no, know, I think because of the year and the timing, it's um, feels a little more uncertain. And yeah. they were kind of playing things more by ear a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. I think also part of it is the, you know, what we've been talk covering a, a number of times is making this kind of project um you know not in the, the shadow of the industry like completely independently i think we need to see what happens with like the, you know the critics response like everybody's going to be um finding out about this stuff at the same time which is exciting but yeah you know, it's super cool and there's there's also like a biper it's because it's sort of like there's the film and this is something that's kind of like one of those complicated it's one of the complicated things about being a producer is like I have, we have like this responsibility to the investors who kind of took a chance on kind of making this thing happen. And it's sort of like, what's good for the investors and then what's good for the filmmaker. And I think like for your career, I always say like a film's successful if the director can do whatever they want afterwards. And like the more successful it is, the more kind of like crazy those swings are like, and it's like, will you get your next film made like that? And is it, are you gonna to get to make it the way that you want it to? And if that's the case, then that means that like, this was a success for you separate from like, did it sell to the right distributor? Did it make a ton of money? Did it lose a ton of money? Did it, did none of the critics get it? Like your sort of career is kind of separate from a lot of those realities in a weird way, but obviously like the more of those things that go right, the, you know, it's kind of like, the easier some of it will be but if your next script's just like bulletproof and kind of like people love it even if this film like doesn't get the reception you were hoping for it, it, it may not even matter and that goes the other way too where people like have these crazy Sundance premieres where people freak out over the movie and it sells for you know a bazillion dollars and then it's like they don't, don't make another movie for eight years because they're just like wandering in this you know studio wilderness or just like whatever so it's a very it's like success is like a complicated thing and i think like it, it, there's like many sort of sometimes like the optics tell a different story than sort of like what really happens and i've had films that are like really successful but kind of like horrible you know not horrible but like complicated experiences because it's like there's interpersonal you know, there's like weird politics or, you know, sort of dissatisfaction or whatever. And then there's things that are like, well, the world didn't like that movie, but we love it. And we're like friends forever. So who cares? You know, it's kind of like, um, and then, yeah, it's, it's also going to be strange, like not doing the in-person meetings with distributors and buyers and kind of like seeing them immediately afterwards. And I think we're going to be trusting the sales agents. Like the person who sells your film 
is going to be it's like I all the agencies are, are such sort of like powerful gatekeepers and like control information so much as it is and I think that this virtual aspect of it is going to make it you know that much more so um which you know but it, but it's like they're so who knows like I have no idea how this is going to work from a distribution standpoint like it's not like we're going to be standing you know normally I'm like lurking in the lobby of whatever the theater is and I'm like okay like I see you guys I see you guys going in I saw you looking at your phone through the movie I saw you leaving 30 minutes like into it like oh you don't want to come to the party like oh you're you know you can actually just like really kind of like read the tea leaves based on like oh this distributor is like at the party like really wants to talk to you like this one's not oh you know it's sort of that's where kind of like a direct like a physical festival is helpful um and only sundance is the only american festival where it's like i mean toronto is north american but where it's like everyone's there and everyone's like kind of laser focused on it versus something like tribeca where it's much more of like a long lead you know, there's never like an overnight sale or rarely overnight sales at Tribeca, but Sundance is like designed to create that pressure cooker environment. So yeah, I think it's gonna be more relaxed and more chill and, you know, we're gonna see who's buying what and kind of what just how it's all gonna go, but it'll be, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. It will be strange, that's for sure. Um, I think it, in this like independent filmmaking kind of grind where you kind of allude to these complicated decisions and, and versions of success, you, you can't, it would, it would be so thankless to do that if you didn't like first and foremost, just like um, really believe in the writer director and like what they can potentially have to say and so i'm just with you like i'm very excited to see what aaron goes on and, and does and i hope i hope this is a springboard just uh, like unlimited opportunity for her. i know we spoke uh when we did our pre-call about um the before and after aspect. And I think after having this call and like listening to you guys, I think it would be really interesting to do another round table like next week. And we could do a short one of just, or when the festival closes, you know, or a week after that or something um, and just have a, a, a recap on, on some of the stuff we were talking about on like how the premieres went for each of you you know, what happened with sales or distribution or just along those lines, it might be interesting to hear, um, to hear a little bit about that if you guys are interested. And I'm sure our listeners would probably be really interested because not everybody's going to have that hands-on experience. For sure. We'll have to yeah. ask permission of our sales reps. They may, uh, they may be, um, they may not want us to discuss what's actually happening depending <laughs> on what, what the sort of state of things is, but I, right. I think it would be great. Like we do, we definitely, and then that's the other thing. It's like, sometimes it's overnight. Sometimes it takes a month and right. um, yeah. I mean, half Nelson to go back to that, it's like a great example of something that just like seemed like such a bust, but then just 
turned out to be the opposite. Whereas I've had other things that were like, oh my God, like, I can't believe this company bought this movie for this much money. And then it's like, no one cared about the movie. And it was mm. just like the release was kind of like demoralizing and just rough, you know? So it's sort of, it's, it's an interesting thing. And just like, you always, you keep everything in perspective. And, and I think also because of like Twitter and just sort of like, this, everyone's sort of like obligated to do these sound bites where it's like, this movie is blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. what's the kind of like quick, if it's polarizing or if it doesn't feel like you're you're not getting like the universal love, just like who cares, you know? It's like, <laughs> if you made a singular movie, the people who appreciate it will appreciate it. Um, and I also think like agencies and all those people, like as much as it's, you wanna knock them or sort of say that they're like these big, like monster, you know, big, big machines, like they truly care about finding unique voices and supporting them. Um, and I think the best agents, like I, you know, after never really, sometimes always, like there's one, there's one sort of like very big CA agent who I've, who've always been like, so you know, it's like I'm not intimidated by many people, but he's like one of those guys is just like, you know, towering figure, and he emailed us like I've been wanting to sign that director forever. Like she's so amazing, congratulations! And it's like, wow, that that guy like loves that filmmaker like that's incredible you know that's great um and I, I love I love her work yeah amazing. the new film especially yeah yeah it's um, also kind of calming to know that half Nelson was a challenging I know because that was yeah. one of the movies I saw and thought man like wouldn't it be amazing to play Sundance yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's good to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Alex, what year like, was yeah. that? 2006. Okay, because I I had Bug Crush at that festival. The same year. And yeah, I saw same Bug year. Crush. I went to the shorts and was like, oh my God, that's the best short I've ever seen, which is a lot of people say. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I remember I worked with Nicholas Reffin. Um, I, I used to work with him a bunch. And I remember he told me that he saw that film at a film festival in Montreal. He was like, oh my God, that was the best film ever. Yeah. But um, I was invited to that producers conference that they did that summer mm -hmm. uh, at uh, Sundance at the, in the town or at the resort. Yeah. And you guys were there and you, sh you screened it for, for all of the producers that were there. And that's when I saw it. Do you remember oh, wow. that? I do not. <laughs> you might have not been there. Maybe somebody, yeah. maybe one of your partners was been, there. It could have been one of the LA folks who did it. Um, but yeah, no, Bug Crush. I mean, but that's the thing. It's like, that's where it's like at Sundance, you wander into a short screening because you have, it's like, that's, what do you have time to kill? And then you see something like Bug Crush that's just so strong, you know? Um, and Carter's a great, like, he's a great example because he, like, mm. did the ruins. It's like after Bug Crush, mm. he could do whatever he want, wanted. And it's like he, but he's back on a journey of, like, making personal work again. Right. Um, right. You did Jamie like, Marks is Dead, didn't you? I did. I yeah. did. I, I, we did Jamie Marks is Dead together, yeah. which is sort of like his return to more, to, to I think who he really is as a filmmaker. And now he's mm -hmm. like, and that's like a perfect example of someone who, like his DNA is his DNA and he's got such mm -hmm. a singular voice and he's, you know, it's like, he's, 
he's not going to be doing like Captain Marvel like Ryan and Anna right. did, but it's like that's you know every everyone it's like you're you're your own artist and everyone there's no right or wrong thing that you should be doing you know um yeah it was like i the first film i ever did ever worked on ever was girl fight which um was wow. kusama's first yeah, film and uh i was an electrician on it because i thought i oh wanted God. to be a cinematographer because I, I worked as a photojournalist for seven years and um i thought i wanted to be a dp so i got a job as an electrician on on that through the gaffer who was a female to work with Patrick Katie on it and like learn about lighting. So cool. I mean, it's like the hardest thing I ever did, but it was my entryway into the indie world in the nineties in New York. And, um, you know, and then that film got into Sundance and that film was like all women too. It was like all yeah. women. I think Patrick Katie and Steve Beatrice were like the two novel men on the film. And, um, you know, and John Sloss was one of the producers, but we got into Sundance. It was a, such a rave at Sundance and, you know, really didn't do well in the box office. And, you know, it took Karin. I mean, I don't know. Karin's made, what, four movies maybe since? Yeah, it took her a long time. Girl Fight. I mean, her second film example. was that really big Aeon studio. Plus, right? Yeah, which, which wasn't, you know... Yeah an easy film for her and then she's done amazing movies I mean like Jennifer's body is like a pretty incredible film <laughs> and yeah. you know she's put them out but it's it's taken her a long time and she's and I think after that experience with Aeon Flux and and I'm just say I haven't spoken to her in many years but you know I for a while we all like kept in touch and I know that um you know she wanted to get back to her roots like that one studio experience was a little bit like traumatic yeah yeah. So. It, I, I don't know if I, how much I should say yeah. this, but I did. I actually spoke with her agent recently. Yeah, she said the same thing about the experience, which I appreciate. About Karen. Is that yeah? Yeah, about, yeah. And she specifically talked about that going from a first feature that was you know relatively small, and then just like this huge jump, and that mm -hmm. it was really tough for both of them, and. Um, mm -hmm. And then yeah. she spoke about you how really have to pick your battles, you know. Yeah, and yeah. it's tough. I remember Carter going through the ruins and how that was. He's like, I just got to decide what I want to fight for, and you know, let go yeah. of what else. It's, um, it's it is tricky now. It's like with Netflix and the streamers, it's a totally different landscape, and I think it's like there's a lot more creative freedom, but it's right. But yeah, but it's like. Um, Joanne, like she's a great agent, you know, and it's like she's if she, if you're her client, like she'll go to war, you know. Mm. Um, I get that sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, it's like I'm I've I've worked with her clients a bunch, and and you know my wife's always like, "Who's that person? Why are they yelling at you?" I was like, "No, she wasn't <laughs> yelling at me. That was just like the way that we like that's just how like that's just the way it is with Joanne." But then it's it, but she's just like she will tell you the truth and she like cares deeply and it's like it's yeah i mean it's agents have very different personalities and you just it's like you'll find the right one you know um but uh yeah it's i mean like Ozza jacobs another person is like a great example of someone who's had a long career where it's like very singular and very specific and he's just like slowly you know french exit is his biggest film and most accessible but it's like I did a movie called Mama's Man with him. It's one of my favorite movies I ever worked on was like, 
it starred his parents. We shot it in his parents' apartment, which is like around the corner from where I was living in Tribeca. I'd walk down my stairs around the corner and up the stairs to his place. Like Ozzy would get out of his bed, the actor would get into his bed and we shot it in like scene order. <laughs> oh, that's like, amazing. It's such, and it's like such a beautiful, like personal film. And it's like, that was 12 or 13 years ago. And, you know, and it's just like, he's never done anything that wasn't him. And he, he's like, it's like, that's super commendable and cool. And like, we had a movie called Terry where we could have changed the score and it probably would have been like a much more commercial film. And like, but he's just like, this is what I want it to be. And it was like his version of a high school mm. film, you know, and it's like, in hindsight, you look back at, at his work and it's like, it, it all kind of like fits together neatly and just feels so authentic and true. Um, and he's just like had the patience and kind of like, you know, he just, he's, he's, he's done it right, I think. Um, and it's like, you'll see all different versions of that stuff where it's like, people are like, well, you could be such a bigger director. You could be doing these other bigger things, but it's like, if it's gonna side, if it's gonna be like a horrible sidetrack thing, just like think twice before doing it. And yeah, don't sign with an agent is gonna try to mercilessly jam you into studio yeah. movies or sort of like things that you don't feel you should, you should be doing. You know? mm -hmm. um, so. That's good advice. I'm really hoping um, that this year does bring out more of those personal films, you know, people trying to make art during this quarantine and, and what might, what kind of beautiful golden nuggets will come out of that. Um, you know, where film festivals are such great places to see those things because, you know, as I said, a lot of them don't ever see the light of day. So it'll be interesting you know, to see what's come up this year. Yeah. Um, I'm just glad you started the film roundtable this year and had yeah. all these amazing talks <laughs> so that we can like still feel a sense mm -hmm. of community and kind of, yes. you know, yeah. like step into other people's perspectives and worlds. So, um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. Um, all right, well, does anybody have any last things they would like to talk about or any, any, I know there aren't a lot of expectations for going into Sundance, but I, I would normally ask that question. Like, is there something you'd like to see those five days? But I mean, if you don't want to answer that question, you don't have to, but if there is anything, you know, and you want to put it out in the world. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I think, I'll have more time to watch movies, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. Like I am going to try to watch a lot of movies. Um, I've reserved a bunch. Um, is that how it's working? Yeah, hopefully. When, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I have tickets. <laughs> yeah. No, I I do. <laughs> um, yeah. Anything yeah, I you want to see Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to see Alex's project, of course, and um, kind of going through the lineup and making my reservations and purchasing some, some tickets. Um, I guess we could also give a shout out to Cheyenne Cage because she, mm. oh, yeah, in a way, and she's one well, of an incredible line producer on our project and very appreciative of all. Yes, keeping into it, just incredible. 
Yay, Cheyenne. Yes, thank you, Cheyenne. Love her. Um, Alex, what about you? What are your What are your hopes with oh, a toddler no. during a film festival? <laughs> if you can, oh, maybe God. see one I or mean, two I'm movies. I'm gonna try. What I've I've come to learn that like trying to do anything on the schedule is just like kind of a lost cause. So mm. I don't know when. When is your movie premiering? Uh, the thirtieth at nine p.m. In 9 p.m. Eastern. Eastern, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's not, that's <laughs> not happening. <laughs> um, I, will, I will watch it during the second window or whenever, because I guess that's where they're doing it now. But I'm excited to see that. I have, I have some other friends who have movies. Um, then I'm just, I'll like try to watch as many of them as I can. But I, right now, I just don't have a lot of time to watch movies given. I'm in quarantine with a little, a little mm -hmm. dude, um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just I just want our film. I mean, it's it sounds sort of like not crass, but like I want our movie to make its money back, just to reward the people who took a risk on it, and I want it to get the critical response I think it deserves, and I hope it finds a great home like with a distributor mm. that loves it you know um and, and i hope the same for you guys so thank you thank you your premiere is on the 29th right it's on the 29th at 3 p.m yeah okay um, i'm definitely gonna watch it yeah same mm. so i got my ticket nice. <laughs> anticlimactic mm -hmm. but we'll see we'll see no. how it all how it all goes and aaron all if i um we're going to do our ticket allocations, but since we have, I mean, it feels like normally tickets are such a nightmare, but I'd love to give you one. Um, thank you. And watch it as well. Um, both it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I know we got You needed to say on. W. <laughs> I know I need to say on W. That's I embarrassing. You had, I'll, no, no right? I have, I have a pass. You I can just reserve. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you should be able to do whatever. <laughs> You have, you have, you're the director. So I got freedom, it. So, I got tickets. So, yeah, so I would love stuff, to see it. But, that would be great. Um, that could be my Friday night. There you go. Or no, Friday, Friday afternoon, afternoon, but that's Friday fine. Afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, well, we should, it, it would be a lot of fun. I think it would be really great to regroup. Yeah. Um, Even if so, we don't if we're not allowed to say exactly what happened, we can count our new gray hairs together or something. Yeah, you could talk about other things. You, know, you could just talk about the just the experience in general and that you're in conversation with people. You know, you could put it that way. It doesn't, it can be very vague. Um, but I just want to thank you all for taking this time to chat about this. It was a great conversation. There's so much to talk about. I feel like it could actually have gone on a lot longer. Um, but I think that uh, this is a good place to end. And uh, yeah, we'll continue it. I'll circle back with you guys, um, you know, after the festival's over and when things settle down a little bit. Um, but thank you so much. And we're gonna post this uh, on Friday. So I'll just circle back with you guys on an email because there's a few things I'll need from you guys for that. All right, looking forward to it. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yeah, so glad to have you guys. Thanks, Alex. Have a great weekend. I wish you the best this coming week and then the following. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron Wild. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Alex. And yeah, thanks, Alex. Talk to you. See you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>